This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. I am once again honored to be representing my friends at New Society Publishers, the book publishers that were a big inspiration to me even before I started working with ecologies and natural buildings and way before podcasting. Their titles like The Natural Plaster Book and Timber Framing for the Rest of Us really made me believe that I could build my own home, which I eventually did. And later volumes like Ecopreneuring, Unlearn Rewild, and Building Community have offered tons of inspiration and even helped to shape my worldview. Whether you're looking for practical tips on growing and preserving food, exploring complex challenges in your own life, or sometimes just searching for hope and inspiration in a crazy world where you don't feel like you fit in, you'll find exactly what you're looking for and more at newsociety.com. Hey everybody, and welcome to the 10th of the monthly expert panel calls. Now, as I mentioned before, each month I'll be hosting discussions and debates between some of the most prominent voices in regenerative agriculture, soil science, restoration land management, and a lot more. In this session, I hosted a discussion on innovative marketing and sales strategies for farms with my friends and colleagues at Climate Farmers, a nonprofit organization working to build the infrastructure to scale regenerative agriculture in Europe. In this panel, I invited Alfonso Guzman, the former head of the Alvala Cooperative in the Altiplano region of Spain, and Stefan Subkowiak of Miracle Farm and the Permaculture Orchard Film. Now, each of them come from a background in regenerative agroforestry systems, but that's where most of the similarities end. Alfonso has helped to organize a growing network of farmers in one of the fastest desertifying regions in Europe to transition to regenerative farming practices by planting profitable tree species that do well in dry regions, things like almonds, and through that he's focusing on restoring soil health and integrating animals. Through the creation of the Almendresa brand of regeneratively produced almonds, they've helped to significantly increase farmer earnings so that they can reinvest in their natural capital in these local communities. Stefan, on the other hand, is working at a much smaller scale, and for decades he has demonstrated innovative ways not only to bring holistic health and biodiversity back to the conventional orchard that he has revived using permaculture methods, but has also pioneered a UPIC business model that focuses on the experiences and relationships that customers have with his farm. In this discussion, both Alfonso and Stefan go into great detail, not only about their farm operations and businesses and how they work, but also the challenges that they've overcome along the way and the unique aspects of their management that have helped them to stand out from the competition and increase their sales and profits as well. Now I'll give one disclaimer that the audio quality on this chat isn't the best. I've done my best to clean things up, but bear with me through some rough connection issues. Think of it as a bit of turbulence on the flight, but don't worry, I'll get us to our destination safely. Also, don't forget that if you want to hear the full unedited version of this interview with the entire Q&A session at the end, just be sure to check out the different subscription options on Regenerative Skills' Patreon page. Now, since these discussions are longer than the regular weekly episodes, I'll keep the intro short and jump right into the introductions for our panelists. So let's start with Alfonso. Hello. Oh, thank you also for the very generous What we have been doing in Alvelal and through Almendresa is a bit of a hybrid model. So instead of selling directly each farmer, we created a cooperative and then we put the production together there because some farmers have are full-time, others not full-time, and some have more production than others. 
and more capacity than others to, to be able to market and sell those products. And through Almendresa, we, I don't know if uh, this is this the moment to explain a bit more or, 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 or no, go ahead. You can give a profile yeah. of, of how that works. Yeah. So what we did there is uh, we started 21 farmers that were doing regenerative agriculture practices in our farms. And uh, we wanted to market uh, our products as that. So with the help of Alvelal and uh, Commonland, we could do some market research and um, hired an expert in marketing products and selling um, yeah, that things that are organic and in this case beyond organic. We all had the certification of organic, but at that moment there is no certification for uh, doing any of the regenerative practices we were doing. <clears throat> and then we started with a smaller production and have been growing in the last years and also more people have been joining in uh, selling their products, but also some of those now they created their own cooperative to, to organize it better and to also be a bit more decentralized. And that's working really well in the sense that uh, it has a much higher demand than what we can offer as a production. And we are growing more and more farmers are participating. I think now we are more than 40 farmers selling our production through there. But uh, yeah, there's just one client that uh, would like to buy 10 times more than what we produce all together combined. I think we have around, yeah, last year was thing near 200,000 kilograms of, uh, of almonds in shell, but uh, yeah, we, we need to get more. So that's a bit of a, that is quite an effort to get to other people, to other farmers that they are committed to this, that they don't join just for practice controlling erosion, um, improving soil. Uh, well. There's certain things you have to do on how you far, your farm is. But uh, for example, you have to add organic matter to the soil at least every other year. If you don't have enough biodiversity, you need to have uh, hedges and borders that you should plant some aromatic plants or other things, uh, depending on how your farm is. Uh, you should leave a full ground cover at least autumn and winter. And then uh, slowly you should move into uh, improving that ground cover within other months of the year through lines of vegetation or uh, similar things. And uh, if you have a lot of erosion also, uh, you should, with the years, uh, build more swales, dams, uh, ponds, uh, these lines of vegetation or these hedges that go on key line or on contour, things like that. So in a way, the marketing them through this and getting that extra price, let's say the client is helping you finance the regeneration of your plots. Fantastic. Yeah, we're going to come back to this model. And it's one of the reasons why I really wanted you on this panel, because there are a lot of people who are producing at a large scale. And it's not practical, especially if they're part time farmers, to be handling all of their direct marketing themselves. So we'll come back to that. And Stefan, great to have you here again. Can you tell our listeners about your innovative UPIC uh, market? for your agroforestry crops, as well as many of the other things that you have integrated in order to sell a variety of products to uh, your customers. Yes, thank you, Oliver. Uh, your question originally was, why should we direct market? That's true, and, let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> and the why is really important. I, I look, my original spark for doing not just direct marketing, because I've done direct marketing the whole time, 
but you picked, which is really unknown. It's hardly known in Europe from what I've seen. Maybe in Spain it is, but certainly in France, in Switzerland, Canada, it's well. It was Booker T. Watley in his book, 100,000 farming 25 acres, and that was written in 1980. And he said, the difference is, do you want to be a price taker or do you want to be a price maker? And that's a huge difference. If you're farming a crop and you bring it to a distributor, you're not making a price. You're, he's saying, well, this is the price I'm giving you. It's take it or leave it. That's not very interesting to me. I much rather say, well, you know what? This year we don't have as much of this. I'm going to raise my price and people will take it or leave it. Uh, but if there isn't a big supply, it allows you to do that. And that's, to me, the one of the most important is being able to to set a price and adjust it as you like. Yeah, that's essential. And so do you want to give us an overview of how it is that you move the products that you produce? Yeah, so we do it. It's a you pick, uh, which is people come to the farm and they pick. So it's really that you pick it. That's the whole model of you pick. Uh, that's twist to it is that we are not open to the public. We're only open to people who have signed up and are members. So they join, it costs them in this year, $60 a year. Uh, in a $60 membership, I put a $20 coupon. So on, if they want the first $20 worth of product that they pick, it's no charge. It's, it's right on the coupon. And then anything else then, Either they pay or this year, what's been really working really well, oddly, is uh, we had a huge crop of apples. I mean, we have a, it was a problem crop. The problem is that there's too much of it. What am I going to do with it? And I'm not interested in picking crop kilos. So people got the email, their members, and they go, wow, this is new because it wasn't even in the original agreement for membership. It's just because we had too much apples. So normally we sell apples at $1.50 a pound, which works out to, yeah, on 160, it's $240 of crop that we're giving them free just for being a member, just because, hey, this year we got a lot. It's a problem crop. I mean, it's a good problem for them. So whenever I have a problem with the crop, I like to transfer it onto the members. And now it's up to you to deal with it. And it's been very impressive. Our early apples, have been absolutely cleaned out, which is fantastic because there's no waste. But we've also, so it's like, well, where are you making your money? Because you're giving away all this crop. We've had great weekends because that has been a big draw. So there has been a lot of people. And when they come, oh, well, oh, you also are you're selling eggs. So we've been sold out of eggs. Oh, you have some pears. We've been sold out of pears. Uh, we have cider vinegar. So we've been, we don't do that. It's free people and then we sell the other so it's a it's an interesting model i definitely wouldn't go back to trying to sell in stores or in markets it's so much less work i mean i open the gate people drive in they park they go they pick and then they pay me and they buy other things on the way out so that's much simpler and if if you make the draw worthwhile if you offer something that people really will come, because as opposed to Europe, we're a mile, uh, a mile, we're one hour away from Montreal. 
which is the largest city around. And to really work well, you want to be within half an hour of 30,000 people. That's the model. And we're not in that range. So we need something to be attractive to have people come out. Yeah. And so in talking about this unique model that you have that involves getting rid of a lot of the overhead, which is the harvesting cost for these agroforestry crops, mostly the fruit that you produce, and it being a major draw for people to buy other products. What have been some of the biggest challenges in this business model? It's a day. It won't work always the way you hope to. That's, that's real. You got to be flexible. It's not like, and be willing, and if it's needed, be willing to harvest some crop. I really don't want to harvest much. So what we do is when we have too much still left, uh, we just put tarps and we shake the crop. We shake the trees. We pick them on the tarp. We bag them all and we sell them just bagged as they come. Uh, actually, we sell probably more to deer hunters than to anybody else because they don't care what you know, what the quality is, it's going for the deer in the woods. And so that's actually a, an oddly simple market. And this happens to be the time when people are beginning to feed deer uh, and to prepare them for deer hunting season. Well, that's a really cool story. I wouldn't have thought that deer hunters would be a major market for apples like that. Uh, Alfonso, can you tell me about some of the challenges that your cooperative model and bringing together many different producers has been in either figuring out uh, quality control of the product that you're putting out or simply just getting a consensus with working so with so many people? Uh, yeah, there's always many, of course, once you when you work with that model. And uh, but things that I can think of, well, uh, difference in management of, of how you do things. Uh, yeah, we set up uh, certain standards of how clean and uh, the, the product has to come also on, on the dates of when they have to come and uh, all of that. But a lot of people are not really used to that. They're used to just like pick it up and then put it in their transport that uh, maybe they, they haven't really cleaned it up well enough before that or maybe that they, they, they just want to do it today uh, because they're used to bring it to these very big cooperatives that work in the area and they just take it I said, hey, if you don't bring it super clean, you have to take it back to your home. We are not getting receiving it. And uh, especially the first year, Sam got really angry about that. Uh, now it's not a problem anymore, but uh, at the beginning, it was quite a challenge. And uh, Sam said, like, okay, then I'm leaving and I'm never going to do this again. And all they, they maybe didn't understand that. Those first standards, because also this area was a place that there is a high production in this case of almonds, but there is not really any brand or direct selling of this product uh, coming out from here. But at the same time, it's, I think, one of the best quality uh, almonds you can find in the world. And so Rainfeld, the, Rainfeld, the production is not very high, but the quality is. And uh, there is a huge potential there, but, but there is not a history of selling it uh, like that. So we wanted to start selling very fast but we didn't have the right bags. We didn't have the right design. And the manager we hired was a very perfectionistic person. And uh, many of us, and I must admit, I was included in that group. We just wanted to start and I said, 
come on, don't be so picky. Just start sending it, start selling it. Uh, we don't have to wait until everything is very perfect. But uh, fortunately, he didn't listen to us and he uh, waited and started sending until everything the package was made of uh, like some like some vegetable material and uh, it was uh, composable and uh, easily to recycle and it was like uh, that time it was four years ago the first time uh, that we saw a package like that in a product like this so it was it had really good consequences but we had to learn to be patient and we had to learn to on, on how all of that worked because we were the ones making decisions but we didn't really have a lot of experience in making decisions of things like that you know, it sometimes it's not as easy as you would think to make a decision or a strategic decisions, especially. But uh, yeah, with time and uh, you're persistent enough, uh, yeah, you end up, it's going well. So it must be that we are doing it well. Yeah, that's quite an incredible journey of the startup and the coordination of so many moving parts. And Stefan, I'm interested in what was the startup process for your business model? I recognize that it's a little bit more common in Canada to do UPIC, and so you didn't have to start from scratch. But given how you manage your orchard and some of the unique things that you offer, was that an, uh, an asset to bringing people further out in order to find you? Or were there some hurdles along the way to, to the marketing side of things? Yeah, it was that way of doing it, especially by membership, was not, uh, it, it wasn't known. Nobody had done that in this region. So people were used to, oh, it's a you pick. So you can just come in in open days and come and pick. So in the beginning, because I had tried being open, just open to the public, I did that in the, in the beginning. Uh, actually, in the first three years we started, we were open to members. And that worked for two years. And then we had one crop failure. And that was when it was just uh, uh, transitioning to organic and it was just an apple orchard. So the first, they want to leave like you do when you go to a grocery store and you don't go for just say almonds. You'll go and you'll get almonds and you'll get some bread and you'll get some eggs and you'll get whatever else you need. So the first people who came, they would ask me, okay, I got two boxes of apples, what else do you have? That's when I realized, well, I got a problem here because I only have all kinds. So I'd say I have another kind of apple. I'd say, no, no, we don't want more kinds of apples. We got enough apples. We want something else just to, and you have to put yourself in somebody's mind. If they've driven an hour or 45 minutes to get to your farm, they want to make it worthwhile for their travels. So you always, if you want to attract people that way, you have to make it worthwhile. That might mean it's worth it just for the th whatever is free. And you can't look at free as really being a loss to you because if it's what draws people to then pay, and I, I, my price is not rebated, it's about the same as conventional prices in stores. So if imagine, I don't know what's a big supermarket chain uh, in, in Spain, but imagine you go to that store and you're buying, for example, Alfonso, you know, he, he's not the only one selling almonds in Spain, I'm pretty sure. So if people are used to paying non-organic and they'll pay, let's, what's, what's a price, Alfonso, for almonds in Spain? Um, 
it depends. There is an increasing uh, differences difference between organic and conventional. Yeah, Before but conventional was not that big. Uh, but to be honest, I'm not sure what is the price in the supermarket. I know what is the price that we get as farmers, but uh, it is around five euros for the conventional and around nine euros something for the organic. Okay. Per kilo, so, yeah? Per kilo, per kilo, yeah. Yeah. So if, if it's $5 a kilo, conventional, if you're using organic prices, you'd go, gee, this is, this is really a great price because you get it at the price of conventional, but it's, it's not conventional. So right there, that's a draw. But the big point of it all is the savings. If you don't have to pick, and picking is one cost, and picking is a major cost because normally in most crops, picking and packing, and people always underestimate the cost of packing, which might in some cases be a cleaning, it might be a washing, but all in all cases, it's also a packaging or a boxing or a, you know, putting it in some kind of a container. Some of the containers don't come back to you. So that, that cost is usually about 40% of the cost of production. Well, there's a 40% margin for you to work on. If you had to do it, it would cost you that 40%. So even if I give crop away, I'm not losing. It didn't cost me other than growing it, but that 40% is not in it. And in fact, my cost to grow it is, is minimal. I mean, it's minimal spray. And what I spray, I could drink, so I get it for free. So it's, yeah, that's not a, a big item of cost. It's the harvesting that would be for me a big item of cost normally. So by eliminating that, anything I get on the crop is, is just a, a bonus because the other thing that happens is if I pick and I grade it, I'm much more strict. You know, I'm sure you see the same with all, well, this almond isn't, it wouldn't go in the, in the retail bag. But when people come and pick and I see what they picked and I go, you know this one you, you would you don't want to eat this one i know it would have a worm in it or this one you know it's doesn't matter they'll say you know it doesn't matter i'm gonna cut it and i'll i'll cut around it so it's like wow they're paying retail for things that i wouldn't even have put in a basket so right there it's like you know and i'll tell no it's okay it doesn't matter that Three weeks ago, we had pears and we've been, we've had a very warm summer. And so things were ripe two weeks ahead of time. And we had a pear day and people picked pears and we bought, we brought a box of pears home. And within two days, we started to open them up. And I realized, wow, the pears are gone. They're overripe. I didn't realize they had ripened that much. So I sent everybody who I saw had bought pears. I sent them an email and I said, hey, listen, uh, if you want, I'll give you a refund on your pears because they they didn't work. They were they were overripe, and only one person said, "No, it's okay. We cut it off and we cut around it, and it's okay. We had a great day." And some people were like, "You know what? It was so much fun. It that that's fine. It was because when people come to pick, they're not picking like if I'm picking to harvest crop, they're picking as entertainment." If I look and I go, okay, I'd have to pick this much in this amount of time, they, they're relaxed. They're taking their time. They'll be there for three or four hours in the day, and they'll pick 
you know, two boxes or, or let's say 40 kilos in two hours, that's fine. You know, they're taking their time, they're walking around and I'll look and I have certain rows closed and I'll look at what they picked. And I, I realized they've been picking in the rows that were closed. They're not even ripe. And I'll say, you know, oh, it's okay. It doesn't matter. We had a great time. So that aspect of it's no longer just about the crop. It's about the entertainment. And so I always say that you have to know what business are you in. I'm not in the business of growing fruit. You think, well, yeah, it's a permaculture orchard. You know, grow. No, I'm in the business of creating memories. That's my most important business. So when people come, anything that for them will click and connect and they go, you know what? I remember the time I came five years from now. They'll remember the day they came. And that, that idea of creating a memory for them, you know, they'll say, yeah, we were out walking around in the orchard and, and we picked some pears and my gosh, they were the best pears we've ever eaten or something. Well, that's the kind of memories you want to create for them. And even if they're not totally positive, like I said, for the pears that they were overripe, we try to make it good so that, you know what, you got a bad batch, they were overripe, I'll refund you. And they don't even take me up on it. Like they'll say, no, it's okay. You know, that's, that was only $10 or whatever. That's fine. And so that's, it's not, you're not dealing with the public. You're dealing with members and members. It's more than just, it, they're not the public. They become friends. I mean, you get to know their kids. The kids grow up year after year. You see them growing up and, and it, it's a whole different relationship. I would much rather, and Joel Salatin, I, I'm sure uh, you know Joel Salatin. He, he always said, you're way better off selling a hundred families, a thousand dollars, then you are selling a thousand families, a hundred dollars. And when you get that, I mean, that is so much the truth. You much rather form a strong relationship with a smaller number of people, but you really serve them. You, you help them, you do what you have to do so that they get great food and they'll reward you forever. I mean, it's that relationship building. So yeah, I'm not serving all the public. I'm not trying to feed, you know, everybody in a whole region. I'm looking to feed a select group of families that preferably they actually stay with us year after year because that's where you build a business. It's not trying to get new customers every few months or every few years. It's trying to serve the same group year after year. That's what makes a really simple and strong business and predictable. You have a good idea. Oh, I know what I'll, how much I'll have next year in business just because people come back. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it, like you said, it really is creating relationships and memories that you're focused on and that people keep coming back for rather than just the produce itself. Now, of course, Alfonso, you're working on a very different scale. And in order to move the type of product that you can start to create over what, probably over a thousand hectares as a collective within the Alvalal network, right? Um, the, the needs in the, the market are very different. I believe you said at the beginning that you sell all of this to one buyer. Can you give us an idea of what that relationship looks like and how you market these goods for the amount of quality that they have that differentiates them from the regular wholesale market? Yeah, so, uh, well, we don't sell only to one buyer, but we could because there is just one of them. 
that would uh, that is willing to buy a lot more than what we can offer. But uh, we still decide to to have a couple of different clients and to be able to grow year after year with more people uh, coming to to sell their almonds with us. Uh, so so in the end, we we are able to to have higher quantities and indeed uh, be able to give them what the, the amounts they want. Um, and we don't want to depend only on on one client. Indeed, that's not. I think generally a very good idea in business, or at least uh, we don't think so. Um, but um, sorry, what, what was the uh, was there one question? <laughs> well, so beyond just the relationship that you have when dealing with the, this different model and moving a much larger volume, uh, how do you communicate the added value that your product has that differentiates it from the rest of the wholesale market? Yeah. So uh, all the clients come. And visit, I think uh, most of them every year and some of them uh, every other year. And they visit the farms where, the, where we produce. And then we explain what things we are doing different and why what we are doing is, is different and is, is worth uh, having a premium price. And what we are doing with that premium price by investing it back and why, why that is important for us. And that is the main way, but because some of the clients, they do market it as well as, hey, these almonds are special. They are um, from uh, this place, from this project, and they grow it in this uh, specific way. But some others, they, they don't even say it because uh, they, they just um, recognize it uh, to us and they pay us more than others, but they they yeah they don't have the need maybe to say to the clients that they are uh, more special than any other almond uh, organic almond that they have but they do pay pay to us at a higher price than they buy from others so they are quite committed themselves without really getting themselves an extra uh, price um but yeah, the ones that they do, they they indeed they tell the story. They they link normally the website of Albelal of Almendresa, and they explain a bit what we're what we're doing. And it seems to be yeah quite successful, and indeed that that creates that luxury problem of having more demand that than. So given these two very different sales models, I'm interested from both of your perspectives, how you went about doing your market research and defining who your ideal client was in order to send a message exactly to them instead of sort of the spray and pray method that social media often represents or that can lose some of the focus and not really get the value out of your marketing strategy that otherwise a more direct approach would do. So Stefan, you want to start with that? Yeah, that I like the spray and pray. That was kind of, I mean, my attitude is just start. So we actually started now. This will date you guys because I can see by, by your pictures. You probably weren't around when we even started. And so we actually started with direct mail. So we had, I had accumulated uh, through, I had another business before. I'd had people's business cards. And whoever we knew that we had their address, we simply mailed a letter inviting them and explaining what we were doing and what we were going to have in the coming year and whether they want to join as members. That's how we started. Thank God for email. And, uh, you know, I use MailChimp to, to handle all the emails. That is so much, so much better and, and so much cheaper. I mean, a mailing, 
used to cost a dollar each letter. So we would send out the, I think the first year we sent out 300 letters and we got about a 10% response, which was a good start. Uh, but now what happens is our best long-term members are people who are kind of vetted or, or verified by existing members. So what we do, and this is really the, this is a great year because when we have so much free crop, like we're offering these four boxes of apples, most people don't know what to do with a hunt, like 72 kilos of apples. It's like, I can't use it myself. So I did put in the, in the email, this may scare you. This quantity, you may not know. I'm not going to come. What am I going to do with 70 kilos of apples? I don't know what to do. So what I did say then is I said, listen, relax about it. Don't worry. Invite your friends, invite your family, have them come and they can pick for free on your membership. And that has been great because hardly anyone has come alone. They've always come with other people, with friends they want. And, and they, I, I hear them talking. They say, yeah, you know, next time I still have two more. I still have, let's say 30 kilos to pick. I think I'll bring so-and-so because this this is the kind of thing they're involved in so that to me is the most valuable how you start listen start if you put the word out social media and so on it helps i mean yes i have a youtube channel and that helps a lot but actually so many of the people that knew this year said oh, i've been watching your videos for a few years and so it helps it's a great way however you get the word out and just talk about what you're doing you know, like Alfonso should just do a video on a tour of his, of not just his, but his other members' properties. And people see that and they connect because if you ask the first time, hey, do you want to join? Chances are they won't. You have to form some form of a relationship, whether it's social media, whether it's, you know, try direct mail, however you want to do it. Or if you can, uh, Free PR has been incredibly useful. There are a lot of people who are still in the traditional media. Get magazine articles written about, you know, I can hear, uh, Alfonso, your project, I'm sure you would interest uh, a magazine that is looking in healthy food. And they say, wow, we want to profile, a, a, you know, a conscious grower. And here's a co-op. And it, wow. And I'll tell you one good article, one article can completely sell you out just one and i've seen it happen where the right pr it'll clean you out you're going to be fielding so many emails or telephone calls that you're saying sorry you know and to be able to say and this is the power of it to be if you're turned down and you go what i can't get in no we're full here next really because why is it full it must be a great place so if you can say, I'm full, sorry, you'll have to wait next year, get on the mailing list and I'll send you. Starting is tricky, but you know what? Start small and just start because you grow organically. Some people will weed out. It's, it's not a good fit for what you're doing. But then the people who are your people and they know you and they'll go, oh, that is. And once you get, if you get 50 families or, you know, that are faithful and they have a winter supply of almonds or whatever you're, you know, I see there's 40 something people on the call, whatever they're growing. If you get a few faithful people, I mean, that's all it takes for this crop or the other crop and you'll be cleaned out.
So I really is start, let your message get out because they have, they want to know are you in line with their values. Are you growing the way they want to get? Because people want to reconnect with their food so badly. It's crazy. I mean, I had a couple, three years ago, we had a lady and that's where it really made me realize how disconnected people were. This lady went to pick in the orchard and right now we have we have chickens in the orchard in different places fenced in and she went and she came back and she said oh you're selling eggs yeah i said we're selling eggs she says how much more would it be if we go and pick our own eggs i was like what <laughs> i didn't do that but i i was in my head i was thinking this lady wants to pay more if she can go pick her own eggs. They'll say, because she was with her little daughter and she wanted to be able to show her daughter, this is what, this is how chickens lay eggs. And this is where they are. And you just go and you pick them up. And if you, if you don't allow people that connection, you're missing out. And I know Europe, my goodness, I, you know, I, I, every time I go to Europe, I just can't believe it. I think we should sell here and move to Europe because starting it in Europe would be so easy because you have, I mean, you have so many people close that whatever you're selling, you could sell. I'm, I'm convinced. And if you have diversity that you're selling more than one thing, my goodness, you know, if you could have 10 different crops, those of you who grow vegetables, you think, yeah, but this is vegetables. You'd have to wash them or you'd have, don't worry. People will be glad to pick up your carrots. They're not washed. They'll take them home and they'll wash them. You know, they'll pick tomatoes. Some of them are cracked. You wouldn't put them in. They'll take them because they're perfect. They're going to make sauce out of them. Don't underestimate. And Booker T. Watley used to say, if people want to pick up the rocks on your property and put them in their basket, no problem. Just make sure you weigh their basket on the way out and they'll pay for the rocks full price. That's that's what happens. People, you don't know what they want. They want the experience. And if they, if it's for them, they picked up a nice rock. They don't mind paying for it because that rock will be put somewhere. It will remind them for years. Hey, we went to that place and, oh, it was amazing. We had a great day. So don't deny or, you know, don't deny people the opportunity to reconnect with their food because there is, you can't hear it. I hear it because I talk to the people and there is a, there is such a tremendous disconnect. People don't know. All they're used to is what's on the shelves. That, that is not reality. You know reality because you're farming. And you need to let people in on your reality. And they'll pay you for that privilege because it is a privilege to them to be able to reconnect. And once you get one or two people, then they'll bring family members. They'll bring friends. And that's how you can grow it. Start small, even if you're selling it through co-op, whatever, people to come and pick, allowing them to come. You know, you could say, look, no dogs allowed. Uh, you could say, we're only open Saturdays. You can set whatever rule you want. That's the beauty of it. You don't have to be open to the public. You can say, if you want to do this, you have to be a member first. And it may take an adjustment because people aren't used to it. But once a few people start, it's like a, a wheel. And then it just gets easier and easier.
Really cool insights there. And you touched on something really important that I know, Alfonso, you are not a stranger to, and that's media attention. And I've seen some of your documentaries through Patagonia and some of the articles and videos that have come out for the amazing efforts uh, happening there. But you also are really advancing on the educational side. I remember first getting in touch with you through ecosystem restoration camps and the incredible work that's happening as kind of the R&D department of your finca down there and La Junquera evolving into an academy as well. Can you talk about some of these real value-based uh, PR sort of attention mechanisms that actually teach people about what you do rather than just showing the pretty Instagram photos of it? Um, yeah, indeed. So the farm, it started us, or uh, when I started, it was uh, in my family for a long time, but it was mainly farming and uh, growing a uh, few crops by then. And then once it started, it started to be diversified into more crops and also into uh, more innovative techniques or different techniques and more experiments, then it attracted indeed more attention for more people also to who wanted to establish other projects. So in a way, it, it is still a farm where uh, we produce a lot of different products, but it is also a space for projects to develop. So some of them indeed one is uh, the first one that started uh, was the ecosystem restoration camp, where indeed it is one plot within the farm where they do a lot of experiments, especially the riskiest ones that uh, far, a lot of farmers don't want to do because uh, they, they think it's too risky or uh, yeah they don't dare to do it. And then at that plot, that can be done and also stay there for a couple of years. And then you see the example of these technologies in all the area uh, containing those stations during, during other months. Uh, the other pro main project is the academy. And indeed that uh, is an academy where students come uh, mainly to develop their research their master thesis or some internships about some topics that we want to know more about. Indeed, how does the swales uh, work with trees or with grains or intercropping this and that, or uh, yeah, doing these lines of vegetation here, or how is the biodiversity on these hedges uh, that have this uh, type of uh, plants or these other hedges that we planted this, with these other type of plants or how does the biodiversity in the ponds affect the rest of the farm? Or um, like we saw, for example, how all those insects in the ponds uh, help pollinate all these almond trees and increase the productivity that, and things that we, yeah, some of them we were very surprised, some of them that we thought they were not that important than they are and the other way around. So research is really, really interesting and it's, they're independent entities and independent projects, but they collaborate a lot with each other. We are all helping each other. And lately there's more projects coming in. One is a winery that uh, Julia, that is a winemaker that makes natural wines and established in the farm a year ago. And uh, then um, uh, other people that they, they do more social media uh, in projects related with ecosystem. So it's, it is starting to be indeed uh, a space more projects all related with uh, ecosystem restoration or regenerative agriculture, but not necessarily all managed uh, neither by me or not owned by me or by the farm or my family, but by different people. So I think that is very helpful for all of them. They 
they feed each other and they, they help a lot each other. So that, that is also indeed attracting a lot of attention because yeah, uh, each one of us has a different network of people and uh, that also we host open days that we try to explain what's going on, that uh, sometimes we first have to have a meeting to explain ourselves what's going on so we can explain to other people because it's changing quite fast lately. And uh, then in those open days, we are able to sell also directly to the people who come uh, a more amount of products. But we have also a similar problem of uh, Stefan that we are the closest city we have is Murcia and it's almost an hour and a half away. And I think people here are not so used to drive uh, that long distances. Uh, but I think after hearing Stefan, uh, we were not able to make them work uh, of selling directly to people, also not just these products that we can store, but also products we cannot store easily like vegetables and fruits, because we also grow, um, grow them, but most of them we eat them ourselves, the people we live on the farm, or we make them into uh, conservas, like uh, with preserves in cans to eat the rest of the year. Uh, but also we are going to start next week with meat, uh, with the first uh, beef we are going to start selling. And that's also directly to, to families who want to buy it. And uh, many of the people who are in the waiting list to buy also came before to the farm to visit it and to see how uh, the animals grow and how the, the crops go. So uh, yeah, it's yeah, the social media helps a lot. Indeed, our our problem so far is a bit that we we don't grow as fast as the attention grows. Let's say, so we we don't have enough products, or the trees don't grow fast enough to to match the the demand of these things. Look, Alfonso. Before we go into the question and answer portion, I'm curious what advice you would give to people who are considering getting into a cooperative model or joining an existing one? What are the, some, some of the main learning experiences that you've gotten from, from helping to run the Alvalad organization? Um, well, I think in our case, it started a small group of people, a small, a small I think it was maybe 40 people or 37 people. Uh, we, we didn't know uh, all of us, like in my case, I almost didn't know anyone uh, when I met them six years ago. And other people did know each other. And I think from that group, then it is very important to grow indeed organically and not to go like to very big numbers very fast because then, uh, yeah, you need to trust those people that you are working with. And I think in, in this place, or I guess in many other places in the world as well, uh, you don't gain that trust that fast. Um, for example, for selling or for creating this cooperative to sell together. Uh, we were quite surprised at the beginning, like, but these people do want to do regenerative practices or regenerative agriculture. They're already kind of doing it. They do want to get a better price, but they don't dare to sell through a new system. And a friend said, yeah, because they're used to being like scammed for 2000 years or are people to rob them or to cheat them. So you don't, you don't change to a new supplier or client that fast, even if it sounds very beautiful, or even if it has a record of two years. Two years is nothing compared with 2000 years of being cheated. Uh, and that's very deep in the brain. So yeah, I did not get frustrated of growing maybe slower than what you would like, but I did that growth, I think is also a lot more stable. And in Alvelal, for example, 
that is the the cooperative where all the a lot of projects and people are we are uh yeah around 300 members or 300 something i i I didn't check lately, but we grow maybe 10 or 15 people a month. And I think that's a good amount. It would be maybe a bit scary to grow 100 people in one month. Um, and all, um, but yeah, indeed, go, go, go slowly, but not stopping. So, um, and yeah, go a bit with the flow um, and not be too worried about if your uh, projections and imaginations of how it would be in a year is totally different because sometimes it also happened that I thought, yeah, we will grow in this or that 20% next year and another 20% next year. And maybe you don't grow in two years and then another year you do grow what you didn't before. Uh, and also that's very typical of farming that you plan a lot of things of what you're gonna do with the profits of the crop this year. And uh, then you're gonna do this and that's gonna do that. And then you have a late frost and you don't have a crop. Uh, oh shit! And then you have to plan everything again. So, yeah, adapt. Uh, be very flexible. I think that's a, that's an advice I would give. Uh, be very flexible. Yeah, that's solid advice for sure. And I'm sure everybody here who's had any experience farming can relate to those experiences as well. Now, Stefan, you've really outlined a very innovative model for a lot of people here in Europe. Can you talk about some of the expectations and advice you would give to people trying this out for the first time uh, to give them sort of a realistic idea of what to expect? Uh, I really would say, you know, it comes down, you just, just start, just try it because you don't know how it will work out. Uh, I like Alfonso's take where basically, you know, they don't have enough supply for the demand. From what I've seen in Europe, as soon as word gets out, you will have a problem of supply. You think, oh, no, can't grow that fast. There's so many people in Europe. Even like you say, you're not in an area that close. But there's still the little towns and, and there's, there's kind of two audience. Well, actually, there's all audiences, but two in particular. You get older people who come because... Oh, this reminds me so much of when I was little because, you know, this is kind of the qual. This is how food was grown back then. And it tastes like what they remember it. Because for a lot of people, the taste of food has gone totally to terrible. Like the, the, it, the taste is not there anymore from what they remember. The other one are young people who just they've never experienced it. So for them, <clears throat> to reconnect, especially in the social media age, I see how many people are coming to the farm and look, you know, and, and they want to Instagram the moment. And that's great, too. I mean, any uh, any media is, is, is fantastic. How to start? Imagine the worst case scenario. You know, what could be the worst case? Oh, we get people come in. And uh, maybe if you have animals, they don't know, they leave the gates open and your animals run away. Maybe if you have trees, people are going to climb. And if I'm not saying it will happen, but if it does, at least mentally, you're prepared for it. I mean, I, I often say, you know, if you can imagine the worst possible year and double it, and then really whatever happens, you know what, if you're okay with that, then 
doesn't matter. You're not going to lose your joy because, hey, you know, the fire went through and burnt down half my trees or my farm. You know, if you have gone through that mentally, that exercise of, of being ready for worst case scenario, then everything else is better. You know, you think, well, you know, they might break branches. I, somebody had a, a comment in the chat, you know, damage. That is the big difference between members and the public. If you deal with people who you have been in communication, maybe through email or however you've communicated with them, they're not showing up at the gate and it's the first time because they happen to be driving by. These are two different groups. I can take time because I limit it to 100 families max on a big year. I can take time with new people and explain them how to pick. It takes me two minutes. Or I can even do a video on how to pick. And then I put a link in the email and I'll say, here's how we pick this crop. So people know what to expect when they get there. And then I can refresh them. Or what I also do is if I see somebody who's been here for a few years and I see, oh, I see that that experienced member is coming and here's somebody new with me. I'll ask them, I'll say, can you just hold on a minute? I see somebody coming who can take you under their wing and help you. You gain two things. The member whose experience feels valued. They feel like you respect their experience. And then you people get somebody to ask all the questions that they would ask me. And they get it not from me. They get it from somebody who they, it's like a review. So they'll go through and they say, yeah, I'm new. What is it like here? What do you? Oh, and they'll say, you got to come earlier in the year when there's this, or you got to come. Well, that's a testimonial. And those people get way better than if I'm doing a sales pitch to them. Way better. So for people who want to start, I'll say, listen, get a little list together and just try it. You don't have to sell your whole crop. Just get a few people and you will know, is that something for you? Because it is not for everyone. Let me make that clear. If you're a farmer who wants to grow and send your stuff off, but you don't want to deal with people, it is not for you. I guarantee you it's not for you. You're going to be frustrated. You, you don't, you're not a people person. If you're not a people person, then chances are you're very different. And one of you really likes dealing with public. And that's the person who you have dealing with the public. And you can focus on growing or you can focus on whatever else, but you're not the one when it's open, you're not the one dealing with the public. And I mean, however it works out, usually there's somebody or if really you don't or your spouse doesn't, maybe you can hire somebody for the open days who just, they just don't stop talking. That's the kind of person you want. Everybody knows somebody who doesn't stop talking. <laughs> yeah, those are so all great just ideas. Start. Right? <laughs> just start. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, look, that's perfect timing to get us started with our Q&A session. And there's quite a lively chat going on on the side here. So whoever would like to ask their own question, I'll give you the opportunity now to raise your hand digitally so I can call on you. If you don't know how to do that, there at the bottom bar is a little smiley face with a plus sign on it and that says reactions. And you can just raise your hand that way and give, uh, give your question directly to whoever you want. So go ahead and step up. 
All right, I'll leave things there since the listener questions go on for about another half of an hour. But if you want to hear the rest of the questions and the insightful answers from Alfonso and Stefan, just check out the subscription options on the Regenerative Skills Patreon page. Now, as great as it is to include multiple experience perspectives on the topics that we covered in this panel, it's impossible to include the full range of opinions and viewpoints out there. And that's why I'm inviting you to join the growing community building regenerative skills to use in their daily lives. It'll always be free to join. All you have to do is follow the links on our Discord in the homepage of the Regenerative Skills website. We've also got links on the Instagram channel. The benefit of joining through our Discord channel is that unlike social media platforms that mine your personal data and manipulate your feeds based on algorithms just to sell you more junk, I founded these channels purely for knowledge, skill, and story exchange between the people who care to make their worlds better for everyone. Now this week's question, which we'll be discussing on the forum is, what products and services could you offer on your farm, or any business for that matter, that could help you stand out from others in your sector? Could these offerings meet the needs of your customers in ways that others aren't even considering? So farms, like any other multifaceted business these days, have both the need and the opportunity to adapt to the new tools and evolving demands of their customers. Online access and infrastructure can greatly increase your reach, but it's hard to stand out online without a compelling story and a focused marketing strategy. Opportunities for collaboration with other businesses, hosting events, and offering experience-based services can change the casual customer into a loyal follower. There are so many untapped niches in your market, regardless of what you're providing. Just stay true to your integrity and commitment to regenerating the world in the process, and you'll always find others who connect with your core vision. Don't forget, you can also help to guide the future panel discussions that I've got planned in the next coming months by suggesting topics and guests on the Discord forum as well. Now that's our show this week. Until next time, keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way.